Hey y'all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. Today, we have an awesome guest, world-renowned, world-famous, world-champion, barbecue pitmaster, Mr. Harry Sue. I'll be right back with Harry in just a minute. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I have a really great guest on today, and I hope you guys uh, enjoy him. Mr. Harry Sue, world-famous barbecue pitmaster. Harry, welcome to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Hey, Darren. Happy to be here. Glad to be on your podcast. And uh, I'm uh, you know, eager to answer your questions and sort of tell the world about how they can all go out and spread barbecue love. Well, one of the first things I want to do is just just kind of give me a brief uh, synopsis on how you got involved in, in doing these barbecue competitions. If, a, if you don't know who Harry Sue is, I, you know, seriously, you have to look it up, <laughs> look him up. He's one of the first guys that was on Barbecue Pitmasters on uh, on on TV. So, uh, how did you get involved into this, Harry? I am a uh, typical accidental pitmaster. By day, my day job is uh, I work in IT and I build things called data centers. And uh, I got into barbecue totally by accident because about 10 years ago, there was a movie called The Bucket List with Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. We have uh, staff meetings every Monday and one of my project managers said, you know, I saw a great movie called The Bucket List and uh, we're a bunch of IT nerds. So we should all make a bucket list so that we can do something with our lives before we kick the bucket. And uh, we proceeded to kind of write down the normal things that we would want to do, uh, like go to Bora Bora, you know, and so on. But we decided to make it interesting. And uh, we started to kind of ham around and we said, why don't we write stretch goals for each other? So let's say, Darren, uh, I, I know you and let's say I know you always wanted to say water ski, but you, you never ventured out to, you know, take a class. Then we'll write a bucket list item for Darren to go out and take a water skiing class. I uh, enjoy cooking barbecue because I used to cook uh, barbecue for my coworkers at work. We would do fundraisers. My uh, assistant is uh, African-American. Her name is Janice. Whenever we had uh, fundraisers at work, I'd serve the barbecue to her and then she would hand it out to all my soul brothers and sisters in the building. We have about a thousand folks working in our building in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, everybody thought that Janice made the barbecue and nobody knew it was me. And they said, hey, Harry, for fun, why don't you go out and cook a barbecue contest just for fun as a stretch goal in those contests where teams bring in the meat in little white styrofoam boxes. And I said, sure, why not? And uh, I nothing happened on the bucket list for many months uh, because I was procrastinating. And finally, they said that, hey, when are you going to do your bucket list? So I got tired of my coworkers nagging me. So I said, I'll, I'll do one contest in Palm Springs in California and get you guys off my back. And I showed them the application form that I filled in. So my team name was called The Bucket List. And uh, they said, that's a boring name. Let's come up with the team name for you. And I said, hey, I don't care what you call it. Just call it anything you want. And uh, they said that uh, apparently in the South, when you eat something you really, really like, you want to slap somebody. So I said, what, what do you mean? He says, well, I, you're a daddy. Why don't you call it Slap Your Daddy? So I said, that's a stupid name. Who wants to be Slap Your Daddy? 
but just to humor my coworkers, I just put it down on a piece of paper. So long story short, I, I won the contest. And this, the rest, as they say, is history. And that was 10 years ago. So since then, I've been on a, a few TV shows, traveled around the world cooking, and taught uh, literally uh, 300, 200 over classes in barbecue around America and around the world. So it's, it's been a great journey. And uh, I feel blessed that now I can share my knowledge uh, and my techniques on uh, YouTube. So I started a YouTube channel, and uh, things seem to have taken off. Well, yeah, we're going to kind of backtrack and go into some detail on some of that stuff. But that's a great, great introduction about who you are. And we were just talking a little bit before we started recording and that you still, this is, you know, barbecue is still just a part-time kind of hobby for you and love. You still work full-time, but you don't work by where you live. You kind of live by Los Angeles and you fly up to Sacramento area, right? Yes, I'm on assignment. So uh, by day, what I do is uh, I run a large team. So I oversee a portfolio of $50 million of the projects, about a dozen project managers. So I'm the guy that gets a roll-up newspaper when something goes wrong. And uh, I build all the infrastructure needed essentially to bring water to 20 million people, 300 cities. So it's a kind of a stressful wow. job. And uh, I took a barbecue sort of a stress relief. Because when I go out and compete in a barbecue contest, I'm usually a one-man team. So I'm my own cook, my own dishwasher, my own driver. So uh, nobody tells me what to do. So when I go out and cook barbecue, I can kind of decompress from work because at work, everybody's screaming at me. And uh, by the time I get back to work on Monday, I fully recover. So I always joke that it's cheaper than therapy. That's funny because usually, you know, from what I... Heard. I've never participated in a barbecue competition, but I would think it would be just as stressful to be in a competition for barbecue because it's so, so much, you know, so many things you're trying to do and so many other people you're comp- competing against. But, um, and, and that's another thing too. You're, you're in California, which is not known as a barbecue Mecca. So. Yes. And uh, I think that that's kind of how I ended up on a TV show by accident 10 years ago because, uh, I uh, don't come from a part of the country that's sort of well-known for traditional American barbecue. We have our tri-tip, Santa Maria style. We've got uh, kind of our uh, kind of California style barbecue, but n- nothing along the traditions of things like, you know, Texas brisket, Memphis ribs, you know, Carolina pork. And uh, I, w- I was very surprised that uh, they cast me on a TV show with three world champions and a total of seven teams in Pitmasters season one. I, I reckon they needed some kind of humor that they wanted kind of like the fish out of water guy from California to come on the show. Because uh, whenever I compete, especially on a national stage, when I compete in Kansas City, people see my booth and they see the sign slap your daddy. And then they see me there, right? The first thing they ask me is, hey, where's the Pitmaster? So I always joke and say he went to the bathroom <laughs> because I do not look like your typical kind of grand champion Pitmaster. And then like 20 minutes later, they come back and they ask me again, you know, where's the pit master? I said, I think he's still stuck in the bathroom. You want to go check him, check, check, check him out. And then by the time they were to Google me and they know I'm, I'm pranking them. So I, I, I don't typically fit the image, but you know, at the end of the day, I always say it's a white styrofoam box. So no need to fear me, just fear the white styrofoam box because uh, it's a double blind judging and the judges have no idea uh, whose food they're eating. Well, that's kind of, uh, you know, amazing to me. And one of the things that i I watched a lot of the barbecue pitmaster show. And one of the things that got me is how it's not double blind, <laughs> that they just turn the box in you, you're, to the people you know, that they just walk right up and hand it to them. So it's, uh, 
you know, barbecue pitmasters is not really the competition that you go through in a competition. Yes, right? you you have to prove yourself on the comp circuit. So I won about like a hundred plus first places and twenty about thirty grand championships. So the way it works is when you go to a contest, you're given a number. So you're given that four boxes and your number. So let's say Darren, your team is given box number ten. So you turn in your box, white styrofoam box number ten. The first thing that the official does is change your number. So your box number ten could be become box four twenty seven. So box 427 is taken behind the judging tent where you cannot see the judges and the judges cannot see you and it's randomly assigned to six strangers sitting at the table. So at every contest, right, each of my entries is eaten by six strangers and the six strangers are rotated so that no judge eats your meat more than one. So your your food is eaten by 24 strangers. The strangers will score box 427 and at the end of the day, only the officials and the computer knows that 427 equals 10 equals Darren. Nice. Yeah, and you you can't get that when you watch Barbecue Pitmasters because from the way you watch that show, to me, if I was thinking, well, this is how usually, you know, a normal competition would go, you know, the, the, the Pitmasters just bring their box up and set it in front of the judges. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the one that we did uh, was the only one that was different. Uh, season two and on was shot in a sound set in uh, Burbank, California, Agoura Hills, California. So I was on the first one that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to shoot because they had essentially 20 people flying around the country with us for four months. So that kind of a production costs just too much money. So I think in the subsequent pitmasters, they moved away from that format where the camera crew follows you around the country. So we had basically a crew of four people and there were four of them with four support people following seven teams. So you can imagine the logistical headache, right? Of transporting all the equipment, including all the camera booms, all the lighting, oh, yeah. all the sound traveling with us as we go into these uh, parking lots or or what do you call uh, open fields and all the crew will have to go and kind of set up and shoot. So it was a very uh, logistically challenging shoot because uh, they had to shoot so much footage, intentionally like 90 hours of footage to cut it down to 40 minutes. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing to me. Now, how long were you doing competitions before they asked you to be on that show? Uh, it was a stroke of uh, luck because uh, I only started uh, 10 years ago in 2008 and I ended up on a show in 2010. Uh, I didn't realize how I got on the show till five years later because uh, uh, you know who Carolyn Wells is, right? She is the president of KCBS. Right. Uh-huh. So uh, what happened was um, the story goes that Carolyn Wells knew John Marcus. John Marcus is the producer who put together Pitmaster One. He had been shopping that idea for many years, but he couldn't find funding. But he finally, you know, kind of able to rustle up a deal to put together a show, like a reality TV show featuring pitmasters traveling across the country. Uh, I did not know that Carolyn Wells knew, uh, you know, John Marcus, who produced also the Cosby show and a whole bunch of TV shows. So I guess I meet a lot of people when I go to contests because people come up to an Asian guy, he cooks barbecue and he's winning on the circuit. So I speak to a lot of people and I did not know that at one of the contests in California called Stagecoach, I spoke to Carolyn Wells. I didn't know who she was, but I apparently treated her well, so much so that she called, told her friend, John Marcus, you got to go cast this guy from California on your TV show because he had spent two years scouring the first six teams, like Myron and Tuffy, uh, Jamie Gear, you know, and so on, Leanne Whippen. Uh, I was a, a last-minute ad. So essentially what happened was on a Saturday afternoon, 
I was competing in a contest in Northern California. And at 12.25, in the middle of the contest, my cell phone rang. And if you are a competitor like me, you know at 12.30, ribs are due. So I immediately thought one of my competitors was trying to prank me and trying to get me disqualified from the rib entry because I would be distracted by a phone call. So I picked up the phone and then the guy said, hi, uh, you don't know me, but my name is John and I want to cast you on a TV show. So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hung up, not uh, thinking who it was. Then it wasn't until Sunday when we were driving home from NorCal that I told my partner, Mark, hey, Mark, I had a weird dream. It appeared in the middle of the rib entry, kind of like my cell phone rang. So I looked through my cell phone and lo and behold, there was a call from New York. So I picked up the phone, I talked to John uh, Marcus and we hit it up right away. And he told me about this crazy idea of casting me on a show. And I said, well, I haven't done any screen tests. I haven't done anything. He said, nope, I'm going to just put you on my show. And then on Tuesday morning, a pile of paper one inch high from Discovery Channel showed up in my doorstep. So I really didn't know what to do because I had never been on TV before. And uh, I said, what the hell am I going to be doing on TV? And I had no idea what was going to happen. But he just said, trust me and you know, sign the papers. And I signed the papers. Two weeks later, we shoot episode one in Mesquite, Nevada, where we got hit by the humongous uh, microburst thunderstorm. All right, so let's backpedal just a little bit more and go back to where did you develop your culinary skills altogether before you even got into barbecuing for your work? Uh, I only learned to cook barbecue when I arrived in America about 40 years ago. So I used to fly 747s for an Asian airline. Uh, If you're as old as I am, you will remember a time when you had to buy gas on alternate and even days. And uh, there was an oil crisis. So <laughs> the young generation have no idea what I'm uh, talking about. And your, your readers and your listeners may not know, but there was an oil crisis uh, in the world in the late 70s, early 80s. I was a refugee. I remember it. So I, I lost my job and I had to retrain for a new career. I decided that uh, being an airline pilot wasn't a good vocation because uh, of the downturn in the oil industry. So I decided, you know, why don't I go study computer engineering? And I ended up in Texas Tech. And within the first week of school, my classmate took me out and I had that one magical bite of Texas brisket and Texas uh, beef rib. And I fell in love with American barbecue. And I spent like the next 20 years of my life trying to figure out how to cook American barbecue because uh, I had no pedigree. It wasn't like my, my grandpa taught my pa, my pa taught me how to cook barbecue. I had no background in American barbecue, but I did have a very curious engineering mind. And since I was a computer scientist, I decided I would crack the American barbecue secret code by brute force. So what brute force means is that I'll cook a piece of chicken with salt and pepper, and I'll write the results down. And I'll do salt, pepper, chili powder results. Salt, pepper, chili powder, sugar results. Salt, pepper, chili powder, sugar, garlic powder. So I built all these flavor profiles in the grandfather spreadsheet tool of Microsoft Excel, something probably I'm not even sure you've ever heard called VisiCalc. So VisiCalc is the father of uh, Lotus, one, two, three. And Lotus is the father of Microsoft Excel. So I built all these flavor profiles to understand how seasonings fuse to meat, how smoke, fire, draft, moisture, temperature all affect meat. So that's how kind of like perfected my uh, kind of my uh, techniques. And I never knew that the techniques were any good because I just cooked for my family and friends until that moment in uh, 2008 when the movie with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman aired. So that was kind of like set me off on an accidental pitmaster journey. So I have no business really cooking barbecue. I'm just an accidental pitmaster. Before you did the pitmaster barbecue pitmaster show, 
Did you just compete locally? Did you go outside of the state? You didn't travel to do like Memphis in May or anything like that before you got involved in the uh, barbecue pitmaster. Uh, yeah, right? I actually uh, I did I did the uh, one reserve champion in Kansas City. I think that's what caught Caroline Wells's eye. So I, I won what I was okay. like a hundred and twenty team contest. I kind of drove out to Kansas City on a lark. Because uh, people in California, all of my friends around the country were dissing me. And they say, Harry, you're pretty good in California. You you won uh, team of the year two years in a row, rookie of the year. You went over to Arizona, kick everybody's butt, won team of the year two years in a row. Are you If you're really that good, why don't you go cook in Kansas City? I say, oh, sure. Anytime anybody says you cannot do it, you know that there is an <laughs> irresistible challenge to me. Just like that guy who said, Harry, you're wasting my time. You, you got to be able to cook a brisket in two hours cook a whole packer. I say, is that so? If you watch my YouTube channel, I do the impossible brisket. I cook a freaking 14-pound packer in two hours. So I'm one of those funny people. I'm fiercely hyper-competitive. If you tell me I cannot land a 747 where my wheels are behind me seven stories down and not wake up a first-class passenger, I will be able to do that. That's what drives me. That's funny. That's that's kind of how I'm not quite as uh, as hyper as that, but I do like to experiment and try new things, and that's that's what I love about watching your YouTube channel is that um, you know people think of you as just doing barbecue, but you do other things besides barbecue, and you like to experiment a lot, and that's what I like. Just to watch the one that you released this morning with the you know the transglutamate and the you know the meat glue sticking all those steaks together and. It's kind of like one of those things that like, you know, somebody told you you couldn't do it and you had to kind of prove Yeah, what, wrong, what, right? what stupid, bizarre person would try to make a Frankenstein steak and glue five favorite steaks together? Only Harry Sue would do something like that. Uh, so I have a, a lot of ideas that I've already shot that are in edits now. So uh, in the coming weeks and months, you see me do some crazy shit stuff because, you know, people think that I'm just a barbecue competitor. I am actually, barbecue competition is only like 20% of what I do. The other 80% hasn't come out yet. That's why people always tell me, Harry, uh, your, ch- your channel offerings are very diverse. I say, you ain't seen nothing yet. I've only posted 160 videos. There's probably another 500 videos in my head waiting to jump out. Now, obviously, some of this is not meant for everybody. Just like when I put out the ASMR videos, I got a lot of heat from everybody. Why did I do ASMR? I said, well, you know, my viewers want to see it. So I'm one to spread barbecue love. I embrace the rainbow of diversity that makes a barbecue. Because I don't care whether you cook it fat up, fat down, MSG, no MSG, injection, no injection, right? I welcome you all because we should all use barbecue as a method to spread barbecue love in this world. Well, now that you said that, though, what do you think of what I mostly do, mixing sous vide and barbecue together? More power to you, brother. <laughs> I just, you know, it doesn't happen much anymore. But when I first started doing it, you get the hardcore barbecue guys that would kind of look at me and kind of, you know, give me that look, you know, oh, that's not real barbecue. But, you know, I've, one of the things when I first discovered CB that I, I was doing barbecue for five or six years, you know, just really diving into it. I've, I've done it all my life, but I just a lot more. And I, one of the things I saw that what it could do is kind of help enhance certain things, you know, so it's not like, it's not going to replace cooking a brisket over, you know, wood, you know, but it, it's, it's just different. Kind of like what you do with different experiments, different things, different cooking methods at, you know, changing them around, you know, mixing them together. So. Yeah. There's no such thing as a uh, sacred ground. Uh, I was a former board member for the national barbecue association and I got a chance to kind of interact uh, with Mama Shed and uh, Mike Mills and everyone. And we all have the same philosophy as, quote-unquote, the leaders of barbecue in America, is that we really want to make sure barbecue is inclusive, not exclusive. 
So we really don't care what shade of gray it is, whether you cook your ribs by boiling them and then grilling them or even cook a hot dog. So long as you are grilling and having fun and spreading love, that is the definition of barbecue. I agree with it 100%. You know, the food is what uh, makes a difference. Now, how did, um, when you, you did the Barbecue Pitmaster show, did that really launch your celebrity status? Do you think you would be doing the barbecue classes and personal appearances and stuff like that if you didn't have that, if you were just relying on the barbecue competitions? I think uh, the answer is, is kind of holistic. Uh, obviously, it's not <clears throat> just one thing. It's a sum of all things. Obviously, the show kind of got me a little bit of a notoriety on the national circuit. Uh, winning 100 plus first places didn't hurt also. But also having the message. I think the most important thing is the messaging. You know, what you cook and how you cook it, in my opinion, is irrelevant. Because there's plenty of folks out there who know what to cook and how to cook. I focus on why you cook. So I cook to spread a message of reconciliation, respect, understanding, and kindness. That, that's what I, I'm trying to do. So for me, uh, barbecue is not really about cooking. It's about reaching out to our humanity and teaching the world that I can teach you a skill so that you can master barbecue, so that you can spread love in this world. That is essentially the underlying reason why I do what I do. Uh, that's why, you know, I, I think that I've been able to kind of resonate with, with a lot of people in America. I was just shocked that uh, I just posted my YouTube channel, you know, about a year plus ago. And right now, there are 60,000 people who listen to what I say. And that is not something I really had planned for because I even got into the whole YouTube by accident. I uh, had a student named Ricky Tran and he... Uh, knows how to sharpen knives. He has a YouTube channel called Perfection. And I told Ricky, hey, Ricky, I'm tired of having dull knives. And he said, Harry, why don't I teach you how to sharpen knives since you taught me how to cook barbecue? I went to his home and uh, he had a nice uh, sharpening, knife sharpening setup. And he also has some video cameras. So he said, hey, do you mind if I just turn on my uh, video cameras while we sharpen knives? And I said, sure. So I thought to myself, who wants to watch uh, two guys sharpening knives for two hours? I was surprised that when he aired the video, I think right now he's at 50,000 views. So that got me kind of started on the idea that I could share my knowledge and techniques on the internet uh, using my cell phone. And uh, Ricky told me, hey, why don't you just record a few clips of you cooking on your cell phone and see what happens? So I did that. And uh, next thing you know, it kind of gained momentum. And uh, now today I have you know, 60 or 1,000 subscribers and I've been kind of posting consistently only for the past year. Yeah, and I, and I think that's an instance, too, where your name is known throughout the barbecue world, and you got shared really quickly through a lot of the bigger barbecue channels, like, you know, Troy from T-Roy Cooks and Greg Mervich over at Ballistic Barbecue. You, you know, you're a known guy, so it uh, it really, and, and believe you know, you got a really good camera personality. I, I watched, as soon as I saw your channel, I, I subscribed and I watch it all the time, you know, <laughs> because it's different. You, you know, your your attitudes, like you said, you're really wanting to teach people. And that's kind of me. You know, that's what I got me started is wanting to help and teach people how to do what I do and and um, and not uh, make them feel intimidated or anything like that. So your your videos are very instructive and not intimidating at all. And that's that's why I think you're getting very uh very good traction with it. And people tell me, uh, you know, Harry, why are you giving all the secrets? It's, you know, like, hey, I always tell people, you know, in life, right, there is a simple formula. When you are 20 years old to 40 years old, 
you learn like a sponge from many masters. When you're 40 years old to 60 years old, you hone your craft to be the best that you can be in the world in your particular profession or skill set or trade. When you hit 60 like me, you got to give it away, man. You, you know, life is short. You're going to die soon. So in the last 20 years of your life, you give everything away, pass it on to the next generation so that they don't fall and slip on the same banana peels that you slipped on because there's no need to. So I always tell people, you know, some people tell me, Harry, you're a godsend. I came to your class. I've been cooking brisket for 20 years, never could get it right. I just spent six hours with you and I turn in championship brisket after the class. I say, yeah, that's exactly what it's about is I want to pass my knowledge on to you so that you can go around, turn it around and become ambassadors of barbecue love. It's like a boomerang. When you toss a boomerang into the universe, if the boomerang starts off small, it's going to gather momentum and come back and hit you on the side of the head way bigger than you possibly could imagine. Well, and not everybody's going to go out there and compete against you in a barbecue competition either. You're, you know, they're going to take it home and cook for their family, like you said, and just like how you started, you know, just cooking for your family just so they can do it. They're not stealing your ideas to go compete against you in a barbecue competition. And, and they do, I congratulate them. <laughs> I, I I trained the first woman grand champion of California, and I trained the first woman grand champion of Arizona. And I'm so proud that she took my class on Saturday. The following Saturday, I competed against her in Scottsdale. I was reserve champion, and she was grand champion. It just really you know, brightens my heart whenever I go to any contest where I compete. And when the award ceremony on Saturday comes around at 5 o'clock, half the people going on stage, right? They go on stage and they signal me because these are all my alumni. I feel like a, a proud dad to 3,000 pitmasters around the world. I was even amazed that even the Costa Rican national team told me, hey, they're coming to the Jack Daniels this year because they pulled so many tips off my videos that they won their national championship. So now they have a seat in the Jack Daniels. Another team from, uh, I think, Melbourne, Australia, or Newcastle told me they followed my recipes on YouTube to a T, and now they're coming to America for the World Food Championship. So, you know, the story goes on and on internationally and nationally. People just send me all these pictures. I just don't have time to post all this on my Facebook, but I get constantly every um, week, I get pictures of people who have won awards. And to me, that is the reward that I get. I, I don't need anything more besides hearing their stories of their success. So how many barbecue classes do you do a year now? Do you still do a lot of them or...? I probably am one of the most consistently prolific instructors in America because uh, I teach about one to two classes a month at least. So I, and on the average, I do between 25 to 35 classes a year, which I, I'm not sure even anybody who's a full-time barbecue instructor is able to do that. I've done it consistently for 10 years. I mean, the classes themselves were a kind of an accident too, and an accidental teacher because my coworkers at work, I have a building of a thousand people. They would start pestering me, Harry, you know, you, 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 we like your barbecue. Can you teach us how to cook? So I kept saying, no, 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 no. And on one Saturday morning, my doorbell rang and a few of my coworkers showed up. They said, Harry, you cannot escape. We are here. You must teach us how to cook barbecue. So I kind of threw together an impromptu class for a few of my coworkers in my backyard. And then what do they do? They go back and they tell a thousand people in the building. And then they start cooking the food. Then everybody starts badgering me to classes. So then I started teaching classes. I say, yeah, I'll do two classes a year just to humor my coworkers. Then my coworkers started telling their friends. And next thing you know, people, total strangers are sending me emails, right, asking me to, to do classes. So I thought, hey, I'll do like maybe one class every three months. So it got to the point where I had to teach three classes a month because I couldn't keep up because I felt bad because the waiting list was up to nine months long. And I didn't want to disappoint people. So now I, I kind of reach a steady state where... 
I try to do, uh, you know, like what, two, two classes a month. And then I'm putting my knowledge out on YouTube because I say, hey, you know, you don't have to come to my class. You know, if you're willing to watch my 160 videos, you essentially get the same information. Except in my class, I do it in a condensed way. We do 27 items in six hours. So it's my version of barbecue insanity, you know, because if somebody told you that you would come to my backyard, <laughs> sit and cook with me side by side, and we will cook 27 items in seven hours, you think I'm crazy, but we do that every Saturday. Wow. Well, I know personally, I got a friend of mine, John Setzler, has a, he has his own uh, YouTube channel, he's had it for a while now, Man Cave Meals. I don't know if you've looked at that, but he was also, he did a lot of videos for Kamado Joe uh, Ceramic Grills, but... He told me he he went out and did one of your classes a few years back, and he said it was one of the best things he ever did. So I know he'll be listening to this podcast as well. So, All right. But, uh, yeah, do, I'll do a shout-out to him. And uh, I have many friends who have different kinds of pits, and they will always know that I told them or I taught them that it's always about the pit master and never the pit. So if you are a skilled pit master, you should be able to cook with some chicken wire and cement blocks from Home Depot. That is the rule I taught my students. Now, do you do a lot of personal appearances and like uh, the companies hire you to come cook at events and stuff? I think you went to the HPB and all that. Too, yeah, right? I, I am constantly, you know, there's much, many more invitations that I can do than, than I have time for. Uh, I, uh, I decided that in order for me to reach the widest possible audience to kind of teach the world how to master barbecue, uh, it, the YouTube seems to, to be working. I, I still do a lot of events on the side. So I, I do approximately maybe 25 to 30 classes. And then the, re, the remaining 20 weekends of the year, I spend doing other things. I, I'm big on trying to give back. So I'm trying to start up a uh, kind of a grassroots social program. I call it the Lifestyles Grilling Class. So we are going out and targeting at-risk use. Uh, I, am, I, coast, I started a program in Northern California with a social worker in Hayward where we run Saturday classes. We spend six hours teaching at-risk youths how to cook barbecue so they can have a new skill set. When you're 16 years old, Darren, you should not be thinking about what gun to buy. You should really be thinking about what kind of clothing you want to buy to go attend a job interview. So America, unfortunately, has 50,000 of these kinds of at-risk kids. And if you don't intervene in their life, they will end up into the juvenile system and then the adult penitentiary system and then you have a 40 times more likelihood that they will become career criminals. And this is just, in my opinion, a total waste of human potential because a lot of these kids are really good kids. They just have not had the opportunity to go beyond their kind of their living and work environments. So I decided that I would try to put that program onto YouTube and then put it in a kit. So anybody around the country now can download the kit. It's a kind of an instruction manual that has a dozen chapters it teaches you how to set up such a social assistance program in your inner city, how to partner with social workers so that you can spread barbecue love in your own communities. And I'm happy to report that people around the country have been downloading the kit. And I, I'm, I'm kind of coaching people now on how to teach them how to teach. So there's going to be a series of videos coming that I'm preparing right now that I teach you how to teach. So you can download the kit, go out to your inner city, pair with a social worker, devote six hours of your Saturday, round up your pitmaster buddies. So instead of kind of like going out and cooking barbecue, I'm asking people to join in this crusade to try to reach out to those 50,000 at-risk youths spread all across America. Well, and that's an amazing and very honorable thing for you to do to spread that um, knowledge and, and 
put that into a, a social program like that. I really love those kind of organizations. And that sounds similar to what Chef Johnny does. I know Chef Johnny works for a high school, but he does a lot of that too, teaching some of those kids how to cook. So I know you know Chef, mm-hmm. Chef Johnny Stewart because you probably met him when you yeah. went to Troy's, Troy Smith's uh, T-Roy. So. Yeah, so what I want to try to do is marshal up all the energy of America in terms of all the pitmasters out there. And then if we can kind of unite to realize that the barbecue and the skills and the techniques, right, should be shared with the world. And I would submit that sharing it with at-risk use is not a bad place to start. I think uh, Anthony Bourdain said it best when he said that barbecue may not be the path to world peace, but it sure is a good start. And I think those uh, words are very profound. Yeah. Well, this is a good place for us to take a break. We're just going to take a little break for a, for an ad. I got Inkbird's, you know, sponsors this podcast, so I'm going to give them a minute or so. But we're going to be right back with Harry, and we're going to talk about some other things. So we'll be right back. Hey, all, it's Darren. I want to welcome a new sponsor to the podcast, Inkbird Products. Inkbird's been around since 2010. They make some good uh, humidity controllers, temp controllers, thermometers. They just released a new line of uh, barbecue thermometers. I actually have the IBT4XS model, which is a Bluetooth 4-probe barbecue thermometer. It has up to 150-foot range on the Bluetooth. has built-in uh, times and temps for different meats. Works really great. Check them out. Inkbird products. You can find them on my Amazon store on the link on my uh, website. Also, you can check them out on Facebook. Inkbird Barbecue. You can join their group. They have discount codes, giveaways all the time. But welcome Inkbird Barbecue Products to the Fire and Water Podcast. Check them out, guys. Thanks. All right, Harry, we're back. Um, now I just kind of want to go into some different things, you know, some basic questions of, I know when you first got into barbecue, and I think even some of the competitions, and even when you were on the uh, Barbecue Pitmasters, you, you use simple um, grills and smokers. You use, I think, the Weber Smoky Mountain was like what you used you know, to win a lot of your competitions. Is that right? Uh, yes, I actually can say that I probably have the world record, having won 100 first places on a Weber Smoky Mountain 18. Yeah, and have you ever been tempted to try to get the fancier stuff, the pellet grills and, you know, because some of the stuff you see on the newer, uh, you know, the newer uh, competitions, I mean, some of these things are $15,000, you know, machines that they My friend Jamie there. Gear, who is the owner and inventor of the Jambo Pits, always joked with me, Harry, when your Weber Smoky Mountains grow up, they want to be a Jambo offset smoker. So I, I always tell Jamie that when I go to contests, uh, I've shown up in contests with a tamale pot on top of a Smoky Joe and taken five walks in the KCBS contest because <laughs> I, I always show people that, you know, it's never about the pit. It's about the pit master. If you look at the top 50 teams in America and you look at the kind of equipment that they use, you'll see a great diversity of equipment. You'll see stick burners. you see pellet cookers. You'll see uh, drums. Uh, you see offsets. you see everything. And really, you know, I think that is this exhibit A, that at the end of the day, it's not the golf clubs that matter. It's the person who swings the golf club that matters. Yeah, that's what I was going to kind of say, because it's the same thing with golf or, you know, anything, any kind of uh, competition. People think that the equipment is the most important thing. Not to saying that, you know, you got to have something that actually works, but I mean, it's really about 
like you said, you know, it's the pit master. It's how you put the food together, how you season it, how you treat the meat. It's, you know, not about the most expensive or the most technologically advanced uh, cooker, just like with golf clubs or, or any other thing like that. So, yeah, <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. Now I do like pellet grills for certain things. I like my Kamado grills for certain things. They do have their little um, idiosyncrasies and things that they do better than one or another. But like you said, I really don't think at the end of the day, it will turn out any different food. It just makes cooking a little bit easier. So, And then it matches your style. I mean, there is a certain Zen meditation ritual involved in putting a log into your offset smoker every 40 minutes. And people like that. They like to stay up through the night hours, watch the smoke wafting through the night, and then watching that dawn and you know go to dusk with the smoker and the meat. There is a, a unity and a connection with the food. So I appreciate that because that's what people enjoy. There's some folks that who want to put the meat in and go to their cell phone, press a button, go out to the mall and watch their food cook on their cell phone. That's okay too. You know, different strokes for different folks. Yeah, there is a place for technology. There's a place for different types of, you know, cookers. It's like you said, anybody, you know, you can be, you know, have a guy that just loves to cook on pellet cookers and he's going to turn and, and win every time. But then again, you got another guy that cooks, on a Weber Smoky Mountain, and it's just the love that you put into it. It doesn't matter what you're cooking on. We have a saying in uh, competition barbecue, it's just a white styrofoam box. So whatever we use to create the product that goes in, you know, nobody knows because the judges don't know. Right. So let's talk about what's your favorite thing to cook on the pit, whether it's for competition or for family. What, what, what if, what's your favorite part of when you're in a competition? that you know that's your favorite part of the competition? Is it brisket, chicken, pork ribs? What is it? Uh, actually, none of the above. I love the mystery meat entry. So what, what's the mystery meat entry? Tell us what that okay. is. Okay, so in uh, most KCBS contests, at least in California, is that they have the mystery entry. So the mystery entry can happen on Friday. It can happen on Saturday. Sometimes it's called the anything but category. Because I've, I've cooked the three, 400 contest. So after a while, the, the ribs, pork, chicken, and brisket become a little bit routine. So what I look forward to is actually these kind of Iron Chef type of events. Like when I cooked uh, in London and I won the London Championships, uh, they had the Iron Chef event. And I was more happy that I won the British Iron Chef Grilling Championship than I did the British uh, Barbecue Championships. Uh, because it's kind of not fair, right, that an American pit master go to England and, and, and beat the British in American barbecue. So I, I was a little right. bit sort of a, kind of like muted in terms of my enthusiasm that, hey, you know, the headline says the American guy goes to London and beats everybody in England in American barbecue. That exactly is not a great headline. But I was very tickled uh, when I won the uh, Grilling Iron Chef contest by making a Moroccan-style ginger orange glazed pork chop because the mystery meat uh, that day was pork chop. So I, I love shows like uh, Food Network, like Chop Grill Masters, where you open up that basket and then sheer terror takes over because you have no idea what to do with brisket ice cream. Right. <laughs> I, I, those are some of my favorite shows, too, and, and my family, too. We'll sit there and we'll just watch. You know, they'll have episodes of, uh, you know, uh, Chopped on, you know, six of them in a row. And we'll sit there and watch every one of them, even though we saw it 10 times. This, that would be my biggest fear. In, is all of a sudden you got 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is to 
decide what you're going to cook out of this mystery meat basket that they've given you. So, but that's and awesome. That's one thing that I, I enjoy doing. And you see me on uh, different collabs that I've done. I'm famous for being invited to somebody's house, and the next thing you know, I go to their pantry and I whip up a dish. So you see me do that at Troy's house. You see me do that at Justin Baby Back Maniac's house, where you know I just go there with no preparation and I just go and plunder ingredients from all the other YouTubers and then you know make some kind of a dish for everybody to enjoy. So that's really where I'm in my element. So to answer your question directly. I really like kind of like Iron Chef uh, kind of create something on the fly type of moments. Yeah, that's that's great because those are my favorite ones to watch. When I'm watching those, like, a, you know, Troy's video or Justin's and you're, you know, you guys are there all together. I know you're going to do something nobody else is going to do. <laughs> so it's crazy. I like it's just I, I like that stuff. So let's talk about your slap your daddy rubs and sauces and all that when did you start those and when how, how are they doing and how did how long did it take you to get your formulas and stuff down for that my sauce recipes uh is sort of a, an engineering in process type of journey and i had been tweaking ingredients and sauces for many many years and I didn't know they were any good until I started winning on the competition circuit and ended up on a TV show. Once I was on a TV show, uh, somebody called me up and said, Harry, I'm a fan of your TV show. And, uh, you know, do you sell your rubs? I said, no, I have a full-time job. I have no time to, to make products. So he says, well, you know, I so happen to own a rub company. Uh, would you like to partner with me? So I thought to myself, well, you know, my revenue from sauce and rub is zero. So anything higher than zero is not a bad thing. And uh, I entered into the uh, <laughs> right. agreement with David Sievers, a guy from Cleveland. He owns soupbase.com. So folks around the country who buy the beef bases to inject their brisket, they all pretty much buy it from David because David sells to a lot of wholesalers around the country who in turn sell it to barbecue stores. So if you uh, buy like a Miner's or Jew or buy Miner's beef base, uh, it's good odds that it came from Cleveland, Ohio from David Sievers of soupit.com. So I, I got into this partnership with David and then we decided to sell the product and we said, well, why don't we just do a test and see if anybody would buy it? When we launched it in, I think, August of 2010 or 11, we sold $1,000 the first month. So I thought, wow, that's insane that, that I'm a nobody. I put out the, the rub and then he sells $1,000 in the first month of launching with no advertising, just purely by word of mouth. And uh, I was very thrilled because uh, people who know me know that uh, a lot of the net proceeds from barbecue benefit charities. So I support Operation Homefront for the troops, the families, and the veterans. I also support Save the Children Foundation, which takes care of children around the world because every day, 22,000 children around the world die. So I also support other things like Operation Barbecue Relief and American Cancer Society because I lost my wife to cancer. So I, I do barbecue kind of as a way to give back to society because I already have a day job. So the day job takes care of my living expenses. So when I barbecue, I truly barbecue and whatever you know I have left from barbecue, I try to give it away to spread some love in the world. So the sauce kind of took off and the rub kind of took off over the years. And today, I, I think we sell them all over America on Amazon and everything and everywhere. And it was really kind of an accidental journey. I never imagined myself to be a seasoning type of person, but people who use my my products, they seem to win. Uh, like Doug Shiding, he won the Houston Livestock and Rodeo first place, beat 400 teams to first place just using just one product, just my chicken rub. And he, he cooks on a GMG. 
So I was fortunate enough to be invited by him to go join him in the following year where he defended his title. So I got to go get a front row seat at the Houston Livestock and Rodeo. And a lot of the times people tell me that they've used the product just out of the bottle to win first place. So I say, wow, that's amazing, man. Go for it. Now, do you do you still tinker around with rubs or do you kind of, you know, got your ones that work and you just don't leave, you leave them alone? To me, it sounds like you're somebody who likes to keep tinkering with things to try to make it better. Yeah, I always believe uh, perfection is not attainable, only pretty good. So I have a pantry in my home that looks like a Frankenstein lab. I have pretty much like 120 spices from around the world. Some that are so exotic, like harissa, uh, things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, that you probably have not heard before. But, you know, I, I love to tinker with seasonings because a painter looks at a piece of white canvas and sees the possibility. When I walk into my pantry and I see my 120 spices, that's my palette. That is how I paint. I paint with flavors and I paint to bring smiles to people's faces. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel. And then my wife thinks I'm crazy because I try all kinds of different rubs and I try to make, I make my own as well. But I always like to try other people's concoctions and blends to see how they are. And then I compare them to what I do. You know, there's some that I, I just, you know, I, I've tried that I just like, I can't believe people buy this. But, you know, and it's all personal taste as well. But I'm the same way. I like to experiment and and uh, try new things. And I'll try other people's rubs as well, just to kind of see, you know, what other people are, mm -hmm. are doing as well. Yeah, I always teach That's people who, who want to start a rub business that I always follow, offer them this advice that really the fact of the matter is that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you think about your seasonings. You still have to cook it. You have to take it to a contest. And then you have to determine, have 24 strangers eat your food beat 100 teams to first place. Then you know that what you have is something tangible that you can give to someone else to replicate the same result. So I always tell people, if you want to start a rub seasoning, go ahead and blend it the best you can, cook it, take it to a contest and see how well it does. If it you know, reaches first place, then you know you have a winner. Because you know I, there are many, many thousands of seasonings out there Everybody claims theirs to be good. But at the end of the day, right, I, I would say that, you know, the, the street credibility of your seasoning is important. And, uh, you know, uh, how well it does in a double blind contest, I, I think it is, is the gold standard that, that, that determines whether it's good or it's bad. Exactly. Yeah. When you got people that don't know you and don't care about you or tasting it, and, you know, those are the ones that are going to tell you the truth about it, right? <laughs> Yeah, the idea is that the rub in the raw form means nothing. So many rubs may taste good raw, but after cooked for 14 hours, it tastes different. So what I what I am telling you is that when I cook and I blend and engineer my formulas for my rub, I don't just taste it raw. I actually cook the brisket six times and tweak the recipe six times. So each brisket takes 14 hours to cook. So I've invested, right, 100 hours sometimes to just tune one aspect of the spice. So I'm like OCD. When you go to bed at night, right, and you dream about your vacation, I go to dream. I go to bed and dream about the 27 shades of color on my chicken. That's how OCD that's, I am. That's funny. <laughs> I've watched some of your, uh, you know, chicken uh, chicken trimming videos and stuff like that, and you're very meticulous and you're a good teacher. But you know, that's one of the things I, I don't see myself ever being able to go to a barbecue competition and and 
because I I don't have the patience for some of the details it takes. Like like I watched you do the chicken thigh trimming and just the amount of detail you go into with the skin, scraping the fat off, you know, trimming the, the, the skin perfect and putting it back on. I mean, I don't think I could do that, but I can see where where it's one of the better things. So it's uh, yes, absolutely. And and I always tell people that's what it takes to win first place USA to beat seven thousand professional teams to first place. Now, the, the what I what I try to do on my channel is I take competition techniques and I adapt it so that you can create the same thing at home without so much difficulty. That's why it took me like nine chicken videos. <laughs> to to show you all the tricks I have because I show you the black belts I also show you the white belts so I'm I'm basically teaching you hey you don't have to do all this crazy shit stuff you just do it this way and you will get 90% of the results the other 10% fa la 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 leave it to people who are competing you can get 90% of a competition chicken by just following some of these basic steps so I, I introduced these fundamental series on my channel like you know 10 brisket fundamentals seven hot and fast fundamentals because i, I want to kind of pass on this knowledge to people so that you do not have to go to the crazy lengths that we do as competitors you can get 90 80 percent of that mileage by just following some basic steps yeah and, and that's a, that's one of the another thing i love about your youtube channel it's not just about tradition and myths and you know the people that you know you got to rub mustard on your pork butt to make the rub stick you know that's not true i know it's not true but people will actually <laughs> no, but if you believe you it it's okay mustard. there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with it but it's you know it's not like you have to use mustard that's the only thing that'll you use water it'll make your, your rub stick to the pork butt just as well so. yeah the, the internet has uh, something called gots so gots in my book right I, i've identified a species on the internet just like we are known as Homo sapiens, right? We are Homo sapiens. We are upright human beings. There is a species on the internet called GOT. GOT stands for Guardians of Tradition. So people who wake up in the morning and who serve the internet all day long, who do not cook, but consider themselves the guardian of tradition because they watch 1,000 videos and they read 1,000 podcasts and blogs and they consider themselves the expert. So I have a rule. Any student whom I teach understands Harry's three to one rule. Harry's three to one rule is very simple. For every three hours of cooking barbecue, you are allowed and permitted to watch one hour of online videos. That's the rule. Because a lot of people who ask questions, and you you know I get thousands of questions, right? I answer every single one of them. And I can tell you a lot of people who ask me questions, they don't cook. They are keyboard cooks. So I always admonish them to say, hey, you know, get off your keyboard, go out and light your pit and cook some food. And for every three hours later, Go back and serve for an hour. That's the ratio, I think, that will allow you to develop your skill sets. You cannot keep watching videos of Tiger Woods swinging his club. you got to go out to the range and swing 10,000 times in order to understand what he's trying to teach you. So when I try to teach, right, people argue with me over how much water to put into apple cider so they can spray their pork. You know, I know that they're not really cooking. They're just GOTs. <laughs> That's true. I mean, but you find that in every cooking style method. I mean, I find it in the sous vide groups as well, where it's it's the same type of stuff where, you know, the people that don't actually do any cooking, they just sit there, they've read five other Facebook groups, they've looked at the blogs and podcasts, and that's, they're just parroting what they've heard or seen or read. They, have, they don't really cook. They're not really they doing they, they argue with you. They argue with you with passion. 
and, and sometimes you right, you know, I, you know, I yeah. hate to be kind of like rude, but a lot of these people are, are kind of really rude. Like, I, okay, people who on the internet may not know who Harry Sue is, and I'm okay with that. I, I don't need to have any kind of notoriety. I just like to cook and teach people what I do. And I always tell them, this is what I did. And uh, it was okay. It was good enough for first place USA. So you know, you may not like it. It's cool. Do it your way. You know, I don't want to mess with your thirty year tradition. And and you've been a pit master for thirty years. Do what you're doing. But I'm just showing you what I do. You don't have to follow me. You know, they they condemn me to hell. You know, like saying, "Wow, you did that. That's blasphemy." It's like what? Right. Exactly. And that's that's my thing. Is if you want to cook it a different way, that's more. You're more than welcome to. But don't try to trash. What I'm doing, especially if you've never cooked it the way I do, you know, I mean, I get that a lot. Well, people would just go, oh, no, you got to do it this way. It's like, have you ever tried it my way? Probably not. So don't tell me that I'm doing it wrong because it's the results that count and how I like it because it still boils down to personal. So now, uh, Darren, you, whenever you have that, you can remember what I said and you can chalk it up as a GOT. That's another GOT out there. GOT. That's right. I'm going to use that. Well, Harry, I've kept you. We're, we've been almost at an hour here, and I, we could probably talk for another couple hours, but I know you've got a plane to catch, and I'm very appreciative and glad that you were able to make it on the podcast today. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we uh, say goodbye? Uh, I want to, again, emphasize the message that the rainbow of barbecue is a culture of uh, uh, what do you call uh inclusiveness, not exclusiveness. So I want to pass a reminder to all your listeners that really when you cook barbecue and somebody comes up to you and tells you that they boil their ribs, resist the rizzard brain that's telling you to say something unkind to the person. What you should really be saying is that, wow, you boil your ribs and you say that you have the best ribs in the world. You should ask that person, what do you do with the rib? Because if the person tells you that I'm spreading love with my boiled rib, you should just say, let me have some. That's right. And it's not just, you know, barbecue. It's cooking in general. Cooking in general is something that we as humans do that, you know, we enjoy. We we do it to provide for our families, to let, you know, do things that, that they love. You know, it's it, it's all about you know, bringing happiness to other people. So uh, I really love that message. So, Yeah, so and then uh, shout out to you, to all your listeners and to you, Darren. Anytime you want to chat, uh, you can just grab me anywhere. I, I pretty much uh, am on Skype and Microsoft Teams all day long in my day job. So I, I talk 10 hours for a living. So if you just want to chat about, you know, life wisdom, barbecue wisdom, cooking wisdom, more than happy to join your podcast and thank you so much for for inviting me on to your podcast well i'm hoping that um i'm going to be able to have a chance to meet you if you're going to be at the hpb show next year in uh new orleans because i'm hoping that we can meet you know with troy and and justin and maybe some of the other guys that you got you guys got to meet up in dallas this year which uh looked like it was a great time and greg i did get a chance to meet greg uh, a couple weeks ago out in California. I was out in San Diego for work and I got to have dinner with Greg Mervich. So that was, that was great. Uh, didn't have time to get up to Los Angeles or anything, but, um, but hopefully we can meet sometime here soon. It was really great having you and I appreciate it. And thanks again for coming on Harry. Thanks again. All right, Darren, appreciate it. Catch you next time. Wow. That was a great episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks Harry for being here. 
Thanks, everybody, for following the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, on our page, and our group. Follow us on YouTube, on the Fire and Water Cooking channel, Twitter, Instagram, all that. I also put a link to Harry Sue's YouTube channel down below in the description. Make sure you check out Harry's wealth of knowledge on his YouTube channel as well. Thanks again, guys, and I'll see you on the next episode.